welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us from Genesis how the phrase, in the beginning, brings a holy anxiety in us that we need to be saved and help others to be saved also. This message is available for free download at friendshipwithgod.org or on iTunes. Now, if you enjoy Tom Cantor and his Old Testament teaching from Genesis, as well as other parts of the Old Testament that he brings to life and parallels with the New Testament, if you enjoy this Bible teaching radio program, we can set you up for a reoccurring donation to help continue this program staying on your station. So you can be set up for a monthly donation or a one-time donation by calling us at 800-247-3051. You can call us now or after the program, 800 247 3051, and we can set you up to be a supporter of the Friendship with God radio program every month or again as a one-time donor. So call us at 800-247-3051. Now you can also donate online at friendshipwithgod.org. Just click on the donate button right at the homepage, friendshipwithgod.org. Again, friendshipwithgod.org or 800-247-3051. Now here's Tom Cantor teaching us how the phrase in the beginning brings a holy anxiety in us that we need to be saved and help others to be saved also. Father, we come to you this morning. We have a problem of being so easily distracted. Lord, we're distracted by cares. We're distracted by worries. We're distracted by what we forgot to do, what we have to do. All these things, Lord, they turn us away from you. And so we pray this morning, help. Help, Lord, us to arrest those thoughts and to take them away from trespassing now on the ground of our hearts, which we give to you this morning. Turn our eyes on Jesus, we pray in his name. Amen. Amen. Now, here we come to Genesis chapter 1, as if you didn't remember. And uh, turn there to Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Okay, so I read two verses just to give you an impression. We may go farther than verse 1 this morning, but don't count it. Now, for the last two weeks, we have started the study with a very important verse. And that verse is telling us that we as believers, it's so important for us, this verse, because it says no one can enter the kingdom of heaven without two changes happening. You remember? The verse says, except ye be what? The first change that has to happen for anybody to go to heaven is they have to be what this verse calls what? Matthew 18.3. Converted. It's like being born again. Don't feel bad if you said born again. Because you have to be converted. Converted from what? Converted from my life was oriented towards sin. And now my life has been converted to be oriented around the person, the Lord Jesus Christ. And the verse says that we have to become as little children. Become as little children. Little children. Childlike. Now, this verse we already is so very important. And there's a word in Genesis 1-1 that is like a childlike word. And what's that word? Anybody remember? Yeah, that's right. It's heaven. And why is heaven like a childlike uh, word? Yeah, because it means, it means literally sham over there, mayim, water. Water over there. So you're a little kid, and you, you walk outside, and you say, where does water come from? 
up there. <laughs> so that's, that's heaven, water over there. All right, so that's a very complicated description. Anyway, so that's, that's what it means. And that's a clue for us when we come to Genesis 1-1 that we are to approach God as little children. Why? Because he says so, and he says also in James, he says he resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So that's important. Now, we also looked at last week, in the beginning should generate within us a certain holy anxiety and anxiety. Why? Because there's going to be an end. This is a beginning. There's going to be an end. There's going to be an end to this world we call our home. It's our temporary home. So don't get attached to it. It's going Everything going to have an end. Everyone's going to have an end as far as their stay on earth is concerned. The lost are going to have an end as far as their stay on earth is concerned. The saved are going to have an end as far as, their, their, as, far as, as far as their stay on earth is concerned. This was so very important. God spoke to the Jewish people about this, about the importance of this. And I want you to turn to it. It's Deuteronomy 32, 29. Oh, he says, oh, that they were wise. That they understood this, that they would consider their latter end. It's a very important verse. It starts with a very important word. If you, the, the New Yiddish Standard Bible <laughs> translates this verse, Oi, Oi, which is short for Oi, they. And Oi, they is the woe. Oh, woe. The woe. We say woe. And the pain of it all. In other words, you say that, oy vey, you say, oh, the pain of it all, the grief of it all, the terrible distress of it all. God's saying that there is, there is, it's, this is horrible about my people. He said, oh, he says, there's a lack of wisdom among my people. If they were only wise, God says, a very, for me, it's a very, very painful thought. God's saying that. So according to the verse, what makes a person wise? According to the verse. Yeah, consider your latter end. Two verbs in, uh, it, well, maybe three. Anyway, two verbs in verse 29. What are the two verbs? Understand and consider. God's saying, you know what's a good thing? It's a good thing to take a walk through a cemetery. That's a good thing. Walk through the cemetery. Why? Because walking through the cemetery causes you to consider your latter end. That's a good thing. Because everyone, God says, I want you to understand that there is a latter end. And the latter end is not the end, so to speak. Because the people, everybody wakes up after death. Everybody wakes up after death. He wake up after death. You know, everybody hopes that they have that candle, the normal candle that when they blow it out, it's gone. But they don't have that kind of candle. You you ever seen that kind of candle? You blow it out, it comes back, you know? Yeah, that's the kind of candle we have for our life. Looks like it's gone out, comes back again. Wakes up. Everybody has it. We wake up either in the happiness of heaven or wake up in the flames and the suffering and the pain of hell forever. And God says, I wish you would just understand this truth and consider it. Where will it be, God's saying to everybody? Where will it be? Will it be in heaven or hell? Everybody, there's no such thing as annihilation. That was popular some decades ago. That's not true. God wants everyone to consider what road you're on. Because it's either, it's, it, and, and he says, he's, you know, I remember one time I was in a crowded elevator with Pastor Jim. I don't remember where we were going, but anyways, we're in this elevator. And the elevator door shuts. And Jim begins to speak to the whole group. 
And he said, I was really surprised. He says, you know, will your last trip be up or down? (laughs) He did. He said that. We're all in shock. (laughs) Why did he ask that question? Because he wanted to make the people in that elevator wise by getting them to understand and consider what will be their latter end. So I thought, that's pretty good. So, so then I, so I went home and I made a little card, a little card with a large road on it, a little side road going off to the, off to the side, a lot of people on the road, the big road, a few people on the small road. I made those little cards, a little verse. These cards look like that. Big road, lots of people, small road, few people. And then at the top, the verse, Enter ye in at the straight gate. Wide is the gate. Broad is the way that leads to destruction. Many, see them? There be that go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, narrow. Narrow is the way which leads to life. Few, see, few people. There be that find that. So I thought, so then, then I do is I, I set this down, card down, in front of the unfortunate person who gets to sit next to me on the airplane <laughs> with a pen. And I said, you know, the Lord Jesus Christ says that there is a very wide road that leads to hell. Many, many people on it. And then he says there's a very, very narrow road, very narrow road that leads to heaven with just a few people on it. So I said, could you please take this pen? Give him a pen. And I said, just mark on this card where you think you are on this road. Just put a little mark where you think you are. Why do I do that? Same reason Pastor Jim asked that question. To get people to understand and consider their latter end. Everybody wakes up after death. You know, my grandfather was an Orthodox rabbi, Rabbi Louis Cantor, and 1908, he came from Vilnius, Lithuania, to Petersburg, Virginia, 25 miles from Richmond, the capital of the Confederacy. No one ever understood why Rabbi Cantor decided to go to Petersburg, Virginia. Very, not exactly a large Jewish, it's not Brooklyn, but he did. And in 1908, he established uh, what today is still the only synagogue in Petersburg, Virginia. That's what he did. And he was not only the rabbi for the synagogue, he was also the cantor. I mean, with a name like Cantor, who else would apply for the job, right? <laughs> and he was not only that, but he was the only moyle in the town who performed circumcisions, which means he had a very sharp knife. And he was also the only shochet, which was the one who inspected and slaughtered and bled out the chickens. And so, which means he had another very sharp knife. So a few years ago, my son David, he uh, decided to go to Petersburg and did some investigation and found out some of the people in the congregation who were still alive who remembered my grandfather. And then he says, you know, here, the, here they are, here's the numbers and all. And then he, he said, no. And so then I said, okay, I'll go. So I went there and, and uh, <clears throat> to speak with them. And I met at that time a lady named Lois, Lois. And I remember sitting in the parlor of Lois's, just her and me, sitting in the parlor of her, her, her proper southern red brick house. 
And we were sitting there, and there was a walkway that was leading up to the house. And we were sitting by the large parlor front window. And in the course of the conversation, I told Lois that I was a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. When I said that, she just paused. And she turned her face, just looked out like she was in a dream world on this parlor window at the walkway. And she says with this southern accent, she says, I can see your granddaddy walking up that lane, says that. And then she pauses and she turns to me and she looks right at me and she's got steel cold eyes. And she said, and if your granddaddy was here, he would murder you. I distinctly remember she did not say kill you. She said murder you. And you know, it was sort of strange. At that moment, I was actually glad my grandfather wasn't there walking up that walkway then. But my grandfather was, also, was actually a, a friend of the Catholic priest in Petersburg. So when my grandfather was at home dying, you have picture this scene now. The, um, he's in the bedroom. He's in his bed, and there's a group of men from the synagogue, and they're around there, very somber, very sad, and there was a knock at the door. So my grandmother goes to answer it, and there stands his friend, the Catholic priest. And he says to my grandmother that he wants to come in and, 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 and sprinkle my grandfather with holy water. And administer last rites to him. So, so she, she comes back into the bedroom where the men are all gathered around. And she tells him, your friend, the Catholic priest, is at the door. He wants, wants to come in and sprinkle you with holy water and administer last rites. Well, everyone in the room is shocked, as you can imagine, right? I mean, here lies their rabbi. You know, he's a, I mean, he's the head of their temple, their spiritual leader. And outside is this... Super Goy, right? the, the Catholic priest. The church that was behind the Inquisition and the Crusades, which, uh, which, which killed a lot of Jews. And so he's asking if he can come in and perform some Roman Catholic rituals on the rabbi. And so everyone is ready to send the priest away. But it's the rabbi's decision. So they look at my grandfather for his response. And he says, to the shock of everyone, sure, send him in. <laughs> Have him come in. And so the, the, the rabbi looks at the men, and they're all just dismayed and shocked. And, uh, and, and he, says, he says, he answers them. They don't even ask the question. The answer him says, what? He says, when you're dead, you're dead. Because when you're dead, you're dead. In other words, it doesn't matter. Because when you're dead... You're dead. You cease to exist. You know, the Bible does not say that when you're dead, you're dead. You know what the Bible says? When dead, you're not dead. That's what the Bible says. When you're dead, you're not dead. You continue. If, you're law, if a person is lost, as we, read, as we saw last week, as the rich man lifted up his eyes in hell, they wake up. If you're saved, you are alive. You exist in heaven. That's the way it is. Now, so God says, I want you to understand this. I want you to consider this. 
Because the Bible says the default is hell. That's the default. But God says, we can change all that. We can make that all different. We can change the destiny. We can change the default setting on you from hell to heaven. And he made it so simple. And turn, if you would, to Isaiah 53, verse 10. Because it's so simple. God made it so simple. How do I do that? From this verse in Isaiah 53, 10, there are three points. There are three spiritual laws here. It's even simpler than the four spiritual laws. There's only three. First is that you see where it says there, Isaiah 53, 10. Please the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. Now here's the phrase. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. So the first spiritual law is the word when. When. That means there is a specific time. That means that the when time is very, very important. When should a person do this? Well, God says in a few chapters before, in Isaiah 49, 8, he says, in an acceptable time, an acceptable time, and that, that also can be translated now. Now, that's what Paul did in 2 Corinthians 6, 2. In an acceptable time have I heard thee in the day of salvation. Paul says, now is the accepted time. Now, behold, now is the day of salvation. 2 Corinthians 6, 2. So the word when, the word now, is very, very important. That's why God is asking everyone the question, every, every lost person, and we should be asking that question too, is that when will you do this? Will you do it? Yes, no. Will you do it today? Yes, no. Will you do it now? That's God's question. Yes, no. That's God's question. So that's the first spiritual law, the when. There is a when. It's not automatic. I'm not born a Catholic, so I go to heaven. I'm not born a Jew, so I go to heaven. I'm not christened. Christened? I don't know. You sprinkle water when you're young, so I go to heaven. No. That's, nothing, that's not autom- it's, this is not automatic. There is a when in everyone's life. The next statement, the next spiritual law is the next three words, thou shalt make. That means it's an act that every person does. God will not do this for you. God has a contract of life, and he passes it, as we've said, to every man. As Tim said last week, God does not sign for anyone. Everyone must sign for themselves. God does not determine Who's going to sign that contract? That's to the choice of man. But he knows everything, so he knows who's going to sign it. But he says, thou shalt make. Thou shalt make. And then the next six words, his soul, an offering for sin. First, we all need an offering for sin. Why? Because King Solomon, he taught us, along with his father David, but when King Solomon dedicated the temple... He said in, in 1 Kings 8.46, when he was talking about the, what would happen if the people prayed toward this temple, that God should forgive them. And then he said, if they sin against thee, and then he said, there's no man that sinneth not, for there is no man that sinneth not. So uh, everyone, we all need that. That's, what, that's the basis. That's why Paul wrote in Romans 3.23, 3.23, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Passover time, each family had to get a lamb. No lamb, 
no Passover. No lamb, no life. No lamb, no mercy. Everybody had to go get the lamb. So picture a person approaching the temple of God, and he's got no offering, and he needs an offering. And God steps in, and he says, I'll give you your offering. I'll give it to you. I'll give you a gift. It's a, what is the gift? My only son is going to be your offering. Take him. Take, make, that, make his soul your offering, an offering for sin. Make the Lamb of God your Lamb. Make the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ your sacrifice for sin. Make the Savior your Savior. Make God, or the Lord Jesus Christ, your God, or your Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, he's saying, whatever you've got in your hand, drop it. Drop everything that you would come to God with in your hand, and just say, like the hymn says, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. O Lamb of God, I come, I come. That's it. That's it. Three spiritual laws. God has made it so simple, so very simple. When should this be done? Now. Who should do this? You should. Thou shalt make. What do I do? What must I do to be saved? What do I do? Make his soul an offering for sin. And then God promises, whoever calls on the name of the Lord, from Joel 2.32, shall be delivered. Or as Paul put it, shall be saved. Turn, if you would, also to, um, to Deuteronomy 5.29. Deuteronomy 5.29, as we continue now. And ask the question, you know, many people might, might say, yeah, that's good for Christians, but I'm not a Christian. And, and I don't know if God... You know, God encourages every lost person to come. He wants everyone to be saved, as we saw last week. He will have all men to be saved. He's not willing that any should slip through the cracks, any should perish. Okay, so in Roman, I'm sorry, in Deuteronomy 5.29, it says this. Oh, that's the new Yiddish standard version again. Oy, he says, oh, the pain of it all. Oh, he yearns, oh, the grief, oh, oh, that there were such an heart in them, that they would fear me. Keep all my commandments always, that it might be well with them and with their children for this life. That's not what it says. It says forever. Just like David said in Psalm 23, I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Forever. God, can you, have you ever thought of this? God wants everyone to have a good forever. He wants that. He's standing on the sidelines of the race of our life cheering for us. He wants us to have a good forever. That's what he wants. And so he so he's saying, I'll do everything. What do I need to do? God says, What do I need to do to make this more simple for you, to help you along the way? What warnings, what further warnings do I need to place in the path so that you don't continue on the broad road? What 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 green lights, what people do I need to bring into your life to encourage you? to come to the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Because God wants everyone to be saved. But now when we thought, so that's for the lost. That's for the lost. In the beginning, a holy anxiety of, of, uh, of uh, there's going to be an end, and what is my latter end, and, and uh, <clears throat> turn to the Lord and be saved. But, the, but the, now that's for the lost. But I, I, I'm not looking at you and saying, well, you're all lost. I'm not saying, I know, we're saved. Many of them. Most, I don't know. God knows. Anyway, 
So the phrase, in the beginning, should also bring to the saved a kind of holy anxiety as well. Why? Well, turn to Luke chapter 16, verse 1. And follow along here very carefully as I read these words. And he said also unto his disciples... There was a certain man which had a steward, and the same was accused unto him that he had wasted his goods. And he called him and said unto him, How is it that I hear this of thee? Give an account of thy stewardship, for thou mayest be no longer steward. Then the steward said within himself, What shall I do? For my Lord taketh away from me the stewardship. I cannot dig to beg. I am ashamed. I am resolved what to do, that when I am put out of the stewardship, they may receive me into their houses... So he called every one of his Lord's debtors unto him and said unto the first, How much owest thou unto my Lord? And he said, A hundred measures of oil. And he said to him, Take thy bill and sit down quickly and write down fifty. And he said to another, How much owest thou? And he said, A hundred measures of wheat. And he said unto him, Take thy bill and write fourscore. And the Lord commended the unjust steward because he had done wisely. For the children of this world are in their generation wiser than the children of light. Thank you for joining Tom Cantor and the Friendship with God radio program today. Now, all of Tom Cantor's DVDs and written materials can be found at friendshipwithgod.org. Just click on the resources, and Tom Cantor's materials are all available there at our bookstore, friendshipwithgod.org. Click on the resources, including our resource of the month, Tom Cantor's teaching DVD series, Genesis 1 through 4, 48 messages on 16 DVDs, all available for a donation of $100 or more. You can find them at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051 and we can take your order. 800-247-3051. Again, that's 800-247-3051. Or again, go to friendshipwithgod.org to our online bookstore. Again, that's friendshipwithgod.org.